Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. There was an appetite for it internally. And once, you know, particularly, you know, stakeholders within the C-suite were kind of seeing what what I could produce or what could potentially be produced by a RevOps team that in theory has a purview, you know, across different departments and whatnot, it was super appealing, um, you know, to them to kind of get some of that insight, basically, and to have somebody that's sort of looking over the fences, so to speak, and can kind of see, well, you know, we have this problem in marketing, basically, you know, but it's really a disconnect with sales, basically. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Evan Luke, who is currently uh, a Revenue Operations Director or Director of Revenue Operations at VanillaSoft, and also has a background in marketing. I'm very pleased to learn. Evan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So Evan, it's actually rare that we have a sales or RevOps person onto the show that just has the background in marketing. And so my first question is to understand, first, why we decided to transition, I guess, out of a marketing role or marketing career into an ops career uh, supporting the three commercial functions. Yeah, it's a fantastic question. Um, for me, so I view marketing as, as fundamentally three components. It's creative, it's analytical, and it's technical, you know, at its core. Um, for me, I felt my strengths were really more on the analytical and the technical side. So as a marketer, right, you need to be able to conceive the campaign. So you need the creative side. You need to be able to actually implement it so it's technical. And then you need to be able to analyze the success, right? And I think it was in those two core components of the implementation and the analytics that really appealed to me and where I was successful. And I think that was, you know, as time went on in my marketing role, I kind of got more and more involved in the analytics, not only for marketing, but also just across the organization. And that's kind of what made it sort of a fit. And so I I was almost an entrepreneur in that regard and kind of developing that function within VanillaSoft and it kind of bloomed into the role that it is now for me. So you experimented in marketing, realized that part of the role maybe you didn't enjoy or wasn't your greatest strength and then transitioned or created your own role that uh, better fed your your working desires. Yeah, I mean, I think there was an appetite for it internally. 
And once, you know, particularly, you know, stakeholders within the C-suite were kind of seeing what, what I could produce or what could potentially be produced by a RevOps team that in theory has a purview, you know, across different departments and whatnot, it was super appealing, um, you know, to them to kind of get some of that insight, basically, and to have somebody that's sort of looking over the fences, so to speak, and can kind of see, well, you know, we have this problem in marketing, basically, you know, but it's really a disconnect with sales, basically, and it's kind of translating, you know, we're either losing revenue or we could be generating more in certain places, right? Because quite often that analysis, I think, is limited to, okay, we're looking at sales, or we're just looking at marketing, or we're looking at customer success, and the different, you know, metrics that, you know, success might be looking at their churn or something like that, right? Um, whereas marketing is just looking at the number of leads they're generating, right? When you have somebody who can look, you know, between those parts, it all becomes that much more efficient. Did the uh, sales or revels ops function exist in VanillaSoft before you decided to create it? No, no, and in, in no capacity did it. I mean, um, the company's grown quite a bit since since I've I've been here. So we went from probably around fifty people to we're just under a hundred now. Um, so I don't think it was something that uh, would have been there necessarily out of the gate. It's not for a lot of companies, particularly earlier stage ones. It it, it kind of comes with you know more. Um, complexity within the different departments and whatnot. And sort of, I think as we grew, you know, and things got more and more complicated, um, you know, the, the, there was a desire for it, you know, and I just basically helped kind of evangelize the cause basically and, you know, turn it into what it is now. And so then I'd, it would be great if you could just break down the, the extent of the support and sales uh, team size that you, you guys are supporting and then the breakdown of your internal ops team if there are um, more resources with more resources within revenue ops. Yeah, so the sales team right now is uh, about 10 people. And then RevOps uh, at the moment is myself and then two full-time. And then we have various contractors that we may refer to here and there, uh, basically. But it's it's uh, a relatively from, I think, from, from who I've talked to, not uh, around probably a typical ratio. And do you think that it's more advantageous, and this might, might be a stupid question, do you think it's more advantageous to move into a RevOps role from, uh, with a sales background or with a marketing background, or do you think it doesn't matter? That's a tough question. I don't want to get myself in trouble on that one. Um, I think, uh, so marketing for me, I, I see an advantage there. And one of the big things is I think there's an easy sort of trap to fall into when it comes to marketing of just assuming that everything that marketing does constantly needs to be tied back to a deal or back to discernible revenue. That's not necessarily the case. You know, there are some things like branding, for instance, that you may not necessarily see that direct connection and having somebody who can kind of recognize that who is also, you know, their purview basically is to analyze marketing activities, I think gives a little bit of a basis and a little bit of context for what for what might be going on. And that translates in really interesting ways. You know, for instance, we were just talking to a, a vendor about a renewal. Um, and, uh, you know, in theory, so part of my purview might be to, uh, you know, we'd look after the tech stack, right? So part of my purview is to, to, to be in the renewal process when we're looking at the different platforms, kind of justify the costs and whatnot. But we actually got to the end of the renewal process. We looked at the contract. We looked at the composition. We looked at the cost. And we thought, you know what? For this price, this is probably not worth the benefit that we're going to get out of it. You know, there's only a really small portion, basically. And we got to the end. And we said, hey, we're not going to renew. The vendor that we were in the conversation with actually came back to us 
And we started getting calls from the CEO directly. And basically what the CEO was saying, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to lose your guys' label, right? And all of a sudden the conversation just completely changed, right? The numbers changed, the composition of the contract changed, all those variables that we we're looking at completely changed. And we ended up back and we're actually just in the process now of signing it. So it's it's the little things that and so we we had a more favorable contract, plus we also saved some money in the process, basically. And part of that is, you know, the branding that we got there. So it doesn't always materialize in the ways that you think that it's going to, but I would argue it's, there are some things that are happening that are, that are really important. Having that recognition, I think, is a, is a huge strength. So, I mean, for me, there are some things on the sales side that maybe I don't intuitively understand, but coming with that and that uncommon kind of background, I do, I do think it's very valuable and it's, it's, as you say, uncommon. Evan, you, you have absolutely nailed a big trend in marketing at the moment, in my opinion, is that commercial leaders try to tie an ROI back to every marketing activity, but they ignore the potential brand benefits. And the example you gave is so interesting. I've never thought about how brand can actually not, well, obviously brand can make you money, but it can also save you money. And it's also weird because when I saw that um, we were engaging with you for this interview, I somewhere have heard of Vanilla Soft. Now, I actually don't know, maybe I'm mistaken, uh, or maybe I have been exposed to the brand somewhere in the past five years, right? And that's mm-hmm. because there's been a marketer involved. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and that's our big thing, right? So we're sales engagement software. And I mean, there are some, you know, 500 pound gorillas basically in the space right now. It's become super popular over the past, you know, five, 10 years. Um, the theory basically is, you know, we operate, you know, in, in conjunction with CRM and marketing automation, right? Um, for us being, you know, a smaller company, not necessarily with the same amount of funding, um, you know, not with the same amount of resources, branding is a huge tool for us, right, to be able to, to get in some of these conversations and to be able to, to do things like, you know, expose different people to it, um, you know, and have that. And, and that pays dividends in the long run in a big way, I would argue. So, you know, it just benefits in action. Going back to the tech stack point, could you share, if possible, a couple of the tools that you guys are using in the revenue function? And then also you mentioned on your LinkedIn profile about how you have a skill set or an ability to eradicate unused tech. So it would be great to hear about how you go about doing that. Yeah, so the core of our tech stack really is Salesforce. We use our own homegrown product, VanillaSoft, as well. Um, on the marketing automation side, we use HubSpot. And then recently, as part of, we've, we've shifted from an inbound to an outbound model uh, heavily. And so we're using Terminus to conduct account-based marketing. Um, as well, we just actually went on with Seismic. Uh, we use uh, Sales Intel for data. We use Sales Navigator and some different stuff. And we're also just uh, in the process of experimenting with uh, Clearbit as well for, to, to append some data. Um, when it comes to sort of looking at platforms and figuring out what to do, so, I mean, the first thing I think you have to do um, in RevOps or, or sales ops or whatever, any role where you're looking at a tech stack basically is go speak to um, different department heads, basically get a sense of the tech stack and then ask for, you know, any underlying, you know, contracts that may be applicable. And I think in the process of doing that, one, you get a sense of the cost, but two, you get a, a sense of what's actually being used in the feature set, basically. So going back to the conversation that we had uh, with a vendor that we initially decided we weren't going to renew with, we decided, you know, for looking at the contract and how it was composed, you know, there was a piece of it, uh, the piece that was being used was only about 
14% of the cost. There was another 86% basically that was there that we were going to be paying for and we weren't really necessarily using or leveraging, nor did we really feel that it was compelling to be using within, uh, you know, the marketing strategy. So there was only really that small component and that's kind of where we thought, well, okay, you know, the benefit really is not worth what we're actually going to pay for this basically. And that was, you know, the catalyst to walk away from it. So it's just getting analytical and looking back at the contracts, asking the questions basically and trying to understand and practice and action was actually being used because quite often you know, these product offerings vendors get clever basically with how they um, will put some of these together and they'll have different products that they'll kind of combine in different places some are more commonly used some are less commonly used basically um, but also use cases vary so understanding all those different variables and, and and how they come together I think is compelling to understand when to get rid of something but also if you're trying to negotiate as well um, those can uh, be be valuable you know uh, insights to, to, to bring the to the table for those discussions. Makes total sense. You also mentioned on your LinkedIn profile about your ability to whip a broken process into a seamless customer experience. And I must yep. say, I do, like you, you also have a background as a journalist, and so I can appreciate your ability to use uh, good words there. Could you share, <laughs> if possible, an example of how you've done this? So I would, I would actually go back to... Uh, when I first arrived at VanillaSoft, one of the, the pieces of uh, our mandate basically was to take a look at marketing rationally, basically, and figure out what was working and what wasn't working. Um, so one of the things that we did right off the bat um, was took a look at, uh, the mandate at that point was to basically generate leads. So what we were doing basically is looking at uh, how we could, uh, in conjunction with that as well, building the brand. So one of the ways that we kind of looked into doing that basically is figuring out you know the stack that was applicable and the actual logistical processes that would go into building, you know, um, you know, the content that was basically going to help us, you know, do this. So we ended up, you know, I was uh, the only full time for staff for a bit, basically, but we built a team, including, you know, a digital producer around that we built um, different contractors into the process, basically, to help, um, you know, conceive that and everything. But the part of the the part that uh, I, I think was was the toughest basically was then tying that back to sales basically. So how do we deliver these, right? You know, this this data that we have or these leads that we've generated and whatnot and looking at the systems um, and, and their capacity to do that. So at the time we were just using, you know, HubSpot basically and VanillaSoft, but tying the two systems together basically um, was a huge part of the challenge. And as well, I think just the kind of the communication element um, and that came down to, so, you know, there's always these technical elements to it, but there's also the logistical kind of, you know, service level agreements between departments as well and kind of understanding, you know, what's going to be delivered, when it's going to be delivered, you know, the composition of what's going to be there, setting expectations uh, between the two places. So I think there's a fair amount of, and I think you've talked about this in the past on, on the show as well, is, you know, there's a certain amount of soft skill that's kind of, you know, in, in involved in the process as well, but also that technical side. So... Um, I think my kind of strength is understanding sort of both of those. And, and one of the things that I've even talked about the past as well is just having like a translational, you know, ability um, as well and kind of communicating um, some of this stuff and contextualizing, you know, some of the analytics, some of the numbers, some of the systems and everything um, to different people in the organization who maybe don't have the same background. And having that, I think, is a real gift and something that people, particularly with an analytical mindset with myself, I think it's it's not the most common thing. You know, you're thinking of you're 
you're dealing with somebody who's commonly thinking, um, you know, in, in logical terms or something, you know, but they're not really thinking of what the translation, uh, you know, might be to somebody else who isn't thinking the same way. So that's one of the areas where I think uh, I, I have a strength and I try to exercise that uh, as much as I can. Do you have any sort of particular tips for how you can identify broken processes? Any kind of things that normally jump out at you? So I think one of the, going back to one of the first things I think you need to do is go and, and uh, interview with, you know, key stakeholders, spend, you know, a couple of hours ideally sitting down with these people. And one of the things that I look for in particular is um, conflicting expectations, right? So you ask people to describe their process. You also ask people, you know, somebody in sales, for instance, to describe the marketing process or what their expectations of marketing are. When you see those disconnects, when you see the differences, those are the points that you really want to hone in on and basically understand how it got to be that way, um, you know, and that's, that's what I look for, you know, at, at its core primarily. I'm just looking for basically the disconnects right off the bat. And I think that's the first thing that I actually look to fix typically is things between departments rather than the actual departments themselves. Quite often those departments are capable, I think, of resolving those things, but it's just some miscommunication that's kind of happened. And that's where I think the, the power and the beauty of RevOps really comes in and being able to sort of look between basically and, you know, figure out the places where where things have just broken down uh, totally. It ties in with something I learned while studying system theory. Um, it, there's a concept in system theory that states actually, if you're trying to improve the output of a system, don't look at the parts, look at the interactions between the parts. So that really resonates there. Again, so as an extension to your um, strength on the analytical side, you, uh, you also mentioned on LinkedIn that you have an ability to get buy-in from stakeholders, which I think is on the other side, it's on the softer skills side. So if you could share one tip with the audience on uh, increasing buy-in from, let's say, revenue leaders, if you're in a RevOps function, what would that be? So plainly stated, learn their personality, learn the language that they speak, right? So understand the background the person is coming from and understanding how they're operating, understand how they're compensated, right? Understand how they derive pride from what they're doing and be able to speak to that. That's the that's the single biggest thing, I think, um, because again, quite often, you know, I see a lot of younger people in particular, you know, they'll be brilliant analytical minds, you know, they'll have, uh, you know, a, a remarkable capacity to, you know, spot patterns and information, understand and everything. Um, being able to translate that over is is significant. So even when I talk, for instance, to my to my CRO and everything who also comes from a marketing background, I'm probably having a different conversation than I would with my director of sales. Those are just two different ways of speaking, basically, and understanding how those people are compensated, what their expectations are, basically, what their background is, you know, um, and what the best way to kind of convey and communicate the information is. And part of that coming from a you know journalism or communications background, right? Quite often. I think that comes from, you know, writing stories about, you know, different topics that are happening. You have to have a certain capacity to take, you know, information that may not be the most intuitive to your reader, right, and be able to kind of communicate that, you know, um, to them and distill it down into a digestible format. So that's that's kind of what I try to do. The other thing I think that really helps as well is transparency, right? So when I talk about systems, when I talk about patterns in the numbers, one of the things that I really try to do um, is contextualize that with you know, what I call crosswinds, basically. So if we're forecasting, one of the things that I'm looking at not only is the pipeline velocity, I'm not looking necessarily just at what stages everything um, is in, but I'm also looking at, you know, how often 
are these deals getting pushed back or pushed around basically how 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 often are we changing the goalposts you know breaking that down get that getting that granularity as well so when i speak to this you know i'm saying okay so superficially if i have you know this amount of deals or this amount of revenue sitting in proposal or negotiation or something like that in those two critical stages that's great but at the same time we need to look at this rationally as far as there's you know the potential that some of this gets pushed back or around you know in some way basically being able to understand that and having that transparency i think is really valuable because it helps set those expectations right and helps build trust as well between between you and your colleagues so i i think that element is super important as well beautiful final question who in the world of revenue operations would you most like to take for lunch? So I, I'm not sure this falls strictly within the world of, of revenue operations, but I've, I've been rereading uh, predictable revenue recently. I think Aaron Ross uh, might be a, kind of a compelling um, conversation for me, just because one of the interesting things about that book for me is it um, goes back and forth almost seamlessly, basically, to sort of, you know, strategic and theoretical stuff about, you know, SaaS more broadly, which is very much my background at this point, um, all the way down to the individual tactics of, you know, how to, you know, uh, execute um, basically, you know, an outbound strategy, for instance. And it, it also ties in, you know, as well with our organizational transition recently, you know, more from an inbound to an outbound model. So I, I don't know, I, I think that'd be a really interesting conversation for me. It is a classic. Now, everybody listening, uh, I want you to be aware that Evan had no idea about any of the questions we were going to ask today, and he took them all completely in his stride and gave some pretty awesome, insightful answers. So we can tell that Evan is the real deal. He's a true RevOps ninja. And it was also very interesting for me specifically, and I hope for the audience, to get the insight um, of revenue operations from the marketer's perspective. And it is also interesting that, that your CRO is also from a marketing background and also actually quite, um, what's the word, uh, encouraging to see that from a marketer's standpoint, because typically it's just the salespeople that get to those roles. So Evan, I want to thank you so much for coming on and thank you so much for sharing all of those, all of those gems. Hey, thanks a bunch for having me. Appreciate it. It was lots of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified Podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.